Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb. And dude, it's it's week one standard time. Are you excited? So excited. Obviously, we're still trying to figure out what is possible in this metagame. And, you know, we're still waiting to get a chance to do our first pass through. Our fa- first games with Zendikar Rising when it releases this Friday, right? Two days from today is when it finally releases. I don't even know. I think that's accurate. So obviously we know nothing about it and just a world of mystery and possibility that we're all going to get to explore soon. Or, or now hear me out. We have not had any sizable tournament data and yet we have a very likely BNR announcement on Monday. Okay. Does that sound right? Sure. Why not? Why anything's possible in 2020. So yeah, let's, let's do it that way instead. Uh, we'll just get ahead of this one and do some bannings now, since that's just what we do in every format and they were coming eventually. So, I mean, I guess if you listened to last week's podcast, you know that I kind of like this decision, but wow, is it crazy and unexpected and I don't know what to really make of it. Yeah. So at wizards underscore magic, the official magic Twitter account tweeted, we're closely monitoring developments in standard in order to avoid disrupting this weekend's tournaments. We intend to provide an update on the format early next week. That reads to me like Monday or so they are going to ban something. Right. But we don't even know that quite frankly, like usually it's been a little bit clearer in the past yeah. when it's time for a BNR update. True. I don't know, but they say like in order to avoid disrupting the tournaments. Like that that leads me to believe that they are going to take action. And it also leads me to believe that they were willing to take action immediately, but knew that like people had a tournament to play in two days later. They're just okay. like, it is it is so bad that five days after the set is out on arena, we we see that things have just gone to hell. And even in like uh, granted, like the Oko days, like maybe they're a little bit more reluctant to pull the ban hammer or whatever. But like, what are the win rates like on these Omnath decks? I don't think it matters. I really don't. Like, I posited on Twitter that I don't think standards problems are about balance. Not to say I don't believe the Omnath decks are the best decks or that they're they're definitely incredibly adaptable. They can respond to anything. And if nothing was ever touched in the Omnath deck, it would have been either the best or one of the best decks in standard throughout its entire time in the format, indisputably. But I don't think this is an issue solely focused around win rates. I think it's about play style. And we've done this. We've done the ramp thing. We've done it to death over the past year. There's obviously some disconnect when it comes to appropriately costing these cards and designing cards that put you ahead on mana because we did it with wilderness reclamation we did it with fires we did it with uro we did it with omnath just over and over and over the same problem keeps compounding and people are sick of it and you can't make them do it again whether you believe that this metagame can eventually be balanced out through the printed cards i think you need to do this and i think you need to do it now so it feels weird to applaud this decision this decision because obviously we all just want normal magic we want to get back to like the way we used to engage with this stuff but at the same time it's like i i didn't want to do this i was already over it like i was mentally checking out of standard at this point already and so if that 
is not only my sentiment, but the sentiment of the larger player base, then I'm going to give props for acting on it. But unquestionably, the leash to make this same mistake is gone at this point. Something has to change with the approach to how these cards are being designed. Yeah, I mean, the, part of the problem is that there's like a year of lag, right? Right. That's, that's a huge, huge problem. And you have to feel, I mean, maybe you don't. I do. I think I'm like a generally empathetic person. But I feel for the people who were involved with designing the cards and like- Whoa, 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 I know, whoa. I know that's you're crazy. Saying, you're saying, no, you're saying that humans design these cards? That is what happens according not, to- Not Robo Rosewater? I thought, I thought Robo Rosewater made all the cards. According to my sources, the humans haven't all been replaced yet. And you get the sense that like, as they started to accept and learn from their mistakes about cards like Fires and Wilderness Reclamation, they had to just be like sitting there thinking in the back of their minds, like mm, this Omnath card right around the corner. And there's kind of a lot of similarity here. And to say nothing of the similarity, similarities between Omnath and Uro, I mentioned in my article this week that Omnath to me feels like the combination of Fires of Invention slash Wilderness Reclamation plus Uro. I think it actually does both of those things that have been problematic. So uh, I have to imagine they were sweating the release of this card. And then the data probably bears out that it's a problem, but I don't think it's the whole story. No, it's not. There's, It's not as simple as like, oh, ban one card and, and move on. You know, it, It's funny, like Tolarian Academy, for example, is one of those things that you just look at and you're like, okay, that was really bad. That was a mistake. You know, we should not do stuff like that anymore. And now it's a little bit more complicated because it's not just like, oh, you know, this this one card is like generating all the mana or whatever. It's it's a combination of things where you are spending mana to accelerate, to, to ramp you so that you have further mana on later turns. And it's like, oh yeah, that, that kind of stinks. You know, you're you're spending mana not to accomplish anything on the battlefield right now. What if we tack on like some life gain to it so it doesn't feel as bad? And it's like that's a cool idea, but then it just means that you're accelerating and not really paying a cost because whatever your opponent is attacking you for, you're just you're just gaining it right back. It's effectively a time walk at that point. And then there's just a huge plethora of various ramp effects, and then there's stuff like Lotus Cobra where you're just generating like more and more mana and escape to the wilds is also like another problematic thing where you know, you get to just gas up after you've expended all of your cards to accelerate you and stuff. It's just this, this perfect storm of nonsense, you know, like you can even Genesis ultimatum into like terror of the peaks and beanstalk giant to like kill people immediately. You know, it's, it's nonsense. Yeah. When you list it all out, it's just this really bad confluence of effects that can't, be part of a successful standard. And if if I got to take charge of the situation, there's some safety valves that I would look to install at this point. And there's just some things I'm not touching for a while. Confounding conundrum? Is that the safety valve you would in- no, install? No, no, no. No. It's, it's, it's not about printing safety valves. It's about setting some clear delineations of what we can and cannot get away with. And things like life gain tacked onto ramp, that doesn't work because you're invalidating one of the typical weaknesses of ramp. You spend your early game getting to development and then you use these huge powerful spells to try and undo the work your opponent has already accomplished. Well, Uro and Omnath are just skipping that phase of the game and they're recovering you on their own 
and deliver in ramp. So that doesn't work. You've taken away a traditional weakness of ramp. Then you can say, well, you challenge them on their ramp axis. So I will kill all of your ramp creatures. I will counter your ramp spells. And then I can eventually pull ahead with card advantage in the late game. That's the way we've responded to ramp decks in the past. Well, you can't do that because of Uro. So you either counter Uro, deny their ramp early, but then they get paid later on and you're falling behind on that card advantage axis, or you let it go and you're immediately losing that mana battle and they have this threat just sitting there for the late game. You can't kill all the mana creatures because like you said, they're full of reloads. They have Genesis Ultimatum as a draw five. They have Escape to the Wilds as a draw five. They have Uro, which will draw however many cards it wants. So there's no real attrition-based strategies that can ever work against them. It's just bad. And you need some checks to make sure that no matter what path you're going down, you have to leave weaknesses for it. And I think the two biggest offenders of erasing weaknesses here are Uro and Omnath. I think you could do Lotus Cobra stuff and have it be acceptable. And look, maybe you shouldn't. I went on Twitter and said, I would ban six cards because I think there's a design flaw here. And there's too much explosiveness in standard, and you need to get some of it out. So I listed Embercleave, Lucky Clover, Lotus Cobra, Uro, Omnath, and I'm missing one. What was my last card? I want it gone. Escape? I don't think it was Escape. Oh, Winota. 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 Thank you. Thank you. So just these things that basically invalidate everything that happened before they entered the battlefield. Now these cards have taken over the game. No matter what work you've done to this point, it's just about this thing. And the game is over. It maybe extends a few more turns, but the snowball has happened. Uh, I, I do think, though, escape merits consideration as well for just being way too consistent of a reload and having a role in multiple of these really powerful engine decks. It's funny, too. Like Escape saw some play last season, a little bit, but for the most part, it was overshadowed by all of the other things that you know generated mana and gave you card advantage, right? Like Even towards the end of the season, we had Nyssa Crisis as... Yep this thing that was better than everything else. And now you're starting to see that like, oh, this card is actually just very good too. There was just so much stuff in this space last season. It just didn't matter. It was like the 10th best thing you could be doing. Yeah, I think it also combines very well with the designs in Zendikar Rising. Like obviously the double-faced cards are quite good with Escape to the Wilds as ways to consistently get the mana boost from it. And landfall they can too. also landfall, they get mana sinks. So there's just a bunch of synergies that really have pushed that card to the next level. I don't know, man. I, I don't know what's going to happen on Monday. How about I give you the the Wizards of the Coast hat now? Congratulations. You're you're very rich and you make a bunch of money off magic. And you also now have this difficult decision of how to set this format up for success. What are you doing? Are are you talking about like individual employees making a lot of money from wizards? Because I don't think No, no, no. I, I'm talking <laughs> about the company, not individual okay. employees. Uh I I mean the the company is probably just being like, you know, do whatever you can to quell the masses. Mm -hmm. And then you let the people whose job it is make those decisions to actually make those decisions. But like, like we mentioned, I don't think it is so much as just like this, this one card is the issue. And yes, this is a ramp deck and yes, Uro is in it. But I think if you only remove Uro from the equation, it changes very little. Agree 100%. I think that's the ban everyone is expecting, though, when it comes to Monday. I I would riot because <laughs> that that will just not <laughs> that will not do anything. Well, I look, this s- is this is why I'm the on the six ban plan. I I don't think yeah. you can afford to again do a half measure and still have this problem present. I think that if 
you are able to get rid of the ramp strats and ag- get into a place where like aggro is prevalent, then decks can actually play interaction or removal spells and things like Embercleave will matter less. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, and especially like things like Lucky Clover. It's like when you're getting to the point where you're just like, I have to ban Lucky Clover. It's like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like at that point, there's going to be some other thing that is like, you know, maybe not as good as it, but there's, there's some, there's always going to be something that is the next best down the line. Right. Sure. So yeah, you gotta draw the line somewhere. I am fine with take whatever uh, stance you need to ensure that these ramp decks that, you know, just don't have to play any interaction really. I mean, they are now because of Lotus Cobra mirrors, but having all the life gain tacked onto the ramp cards is the vast majority of the problem. And if you remove Uro, that's not enough. If you remove Omnath by itself, that might be enough. I think if you remove both of them, then it's fine. That's a big swing. Uh, two Mythic Rares I know. kind of headline cards of the set. And you have to think, I, I, I think if they believe that is the correct way to do it, they will do it. I mean, they kind of prove that with Oko. I didn't think they would ban Oko. I kind of said... This is the face of Throne of Eldraine. It seems like they're incentivized to keep it around. And maybe that's why it lasted as long as it did. Yeah. But still, ultimately, they did the right thing and got rid of it. So this I would know. be an aggressive move. Taking I thought they would ban Gilded Goose before Oko, you know? We have to keep the mythic. What, how, how else are we going to sell packs? Right. But to their credit, they took the tough route. They banned the card that was really the cause of the problem and now i think they're facing that point again i think if you were prioritizing avoiding that decision i think you could go uro escape to the wilds genesis ultimatum and then at least shape the existing omnath deck towards something that isn't super resilient and i I think it would still probably be a very good deck and omnath would still be a very good card it just won't, there'll be axes on which to challenge it. Like I could beat that deck. I've been close to beating the Omnath decks, but like the fact that sometimes they just get me with Escape to the Wilds, it's like, okay, they have too much. I can't answer every single possible plan they have. And the fact that they have an instant I win button in Genesis Ultimatum. Again, I can't answer everything they're going to do. So there has to be some mitigation of their late game. But I, I think I agree with you. The cleanest thing to do is just take both of these cards and cut them down to their base because the idea of ramp plus life gain, it squeezes way too much of the format and it just creates a deck building challenge that I don't think can be answered with the present cards. Yeah. I I think there is a route you could take where you're like, Oh, let's try and get rid of the top end and you just remove ultimatum and escape. That's one of the things that I thought about too. But We've seen that flaw before though, right? Like it's going after the enablers, right? Going after the payoffs as opposed to the enablers. And we always criticize right. when that's what's being done. Yeah, because there's going to be some seven mana card in the next set or there's like a seven mana card right now. Amiria's just- call is there. Like it's flashy to kill you, but if like on turn four, I'm playing a bunch of four fours, I can probably beat you that way too. Right. Yeah. And, and even then it's just like, okay, well, what about... Omnath into Elspeth Conquers Death and yeah. uh, Shark Typhoon and stuff like that. It's like, is that even, I mean, it's it's worse, obviously, right? But it's like, it's still going to be pretty tough to beat no matter what. And a lot of the problems are just like the ramp plus life gain. So 
Yeah, I, I think you you basically have to take action against Omnath in order to have any significant effect. Janelle was right. That's all I have to say. Apparently, she just she looked at it seriously for like ten seconds, read the text, looked up at me. That's going to be banned. I think she's didn't right. didn't take long either. If if you talk to her about this at all, like does she yeah. know what's going on? Yeah, she's oh, oh, she's thrilled about it. Yeah, she's, she's ready Nailed to take over it. for me on the podcast. Basically, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Dude, I'd be down to have her on. Oh, for sure. Definitely way better than me. What else? I mean, like, I I will say that in the first couple days of playing on the ladder, after Arena finally let me actually play on the ladder, I went from, like, nothing to Diamond very quickly. I think I lost two matches. And since being in, like, high Diamonds, it it has been more difficult to win with the ramp deck. I'm winning at like a 60% clip instead of a 90% clip or whatever. So yeah. there is that, but you're also what everyone is focusing on at the moment and you're still popping oh, yeah. off at 60%. So oh, yeah, they're, they're trying real, hard. a lot of main deck confounding conundrums and, you know, things like that where it's like, okay, you know, this is kind of annoying, but I'll just pick up all my lands and kill you. It's fine. Yep. Yeah. It just goes back to the same thing. Like it, this is not the game we have been looking forward to as we, waited with bated breath for rotation and you got, you got to give the payoff of something new, something different. You can't ask people to go through this again. So it, it's just not a relevant data point to me. I don't, I don't care how much the deck is winning. It's completely irrelevant. It's, it goes back to like the Etherworks Marvel thing. Like don't tell me the win rate. People don't want to play against this. That's what matters. And going back to before there were bands in pioneer and the format was abandoned and it's like, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter whether you have like a good, theoretical basis for this if people aren't engaging with the game and they're not happy then you have to do something but i guess i want to get into this now too it's a weird time to transition to this point no nah, hit me let's do it does it matter if you and i are enjoying this game anymore does it actually matter i don't think we're the target audience no we're not and that's what it comes down to it's like if you're selling a ton of magic cards making cards like this and all these people who have come to arena are just loving it and giving you money hand over fist. Well, the the thing is, is that I don't think like if this is the best deck, right. And it's like frustrating to play against because it's really hard to beat and it takes up a sizable metagame share. There are a lot of people out there who want a variable play experience. You know, they mm-hmm. want to play against different decks every round and this is not going to give it to them. I, I think that arena to some extent is going to be making a bunch of money, no matter what it is a money tree. And you're going to be able to sell packs with cards like Omnath to people who are playing Commander or older formats. I mean, we're going to talk about Modern eventually at some point and the the card is seeing play there, right? So like you're going to, they're going to make money, but I think you can make money while also trying to massage the standard format a little bit and make it enjoyable. Okay, that bridges well to my next question. And I think a lot of the assumption around these cards is that they are designed for players of a different ilk than you and I, the people who enjoy kitchen table magic, the people who are playing a lot of commander, uh, those type of formats. Do cards designed for those people actually need to be this good? Like, do they benefit from pushing really hard? I I know there's an impact on a less experienced, non-competitive player when they see a two mana six, six, like Croxa. We'll use the softer example here. We won't even talk about Uro. 
I know that matters to them. And there is some effect on them where they're just jaw dropped, excited to play with the card. But like if Croxa cost, if you add one mana to all of the costs, so it's, you know, four to a uh, five to escape and then three to cast. Are they not excited anymore? Like, does that is that card irrelevant to them? And if you do the same to Uro, are they not excited about Uro? Like, how good do cards actually have to be to appeal to that audience? No, it's a good question. I mean, for Croxa and Uro, it's a lot easier to answer, at least from my point of view, where they're doing very unique things. So there's not really a precedent for how much that thing costs or you know, what is the average cost for a thing like that, that exists in your commander deck or whatever already, right? Like if you're, if you're printing a bunch of strictly worses than older cards, that's not very exciting to me. Even if it's like, oh, you could really use like this fifth copy of that effect in your deck, right? Right. People are, they're, they're going to put it in their deck, right? But they're not going to like rush out to the store and like buy it. And they're not going to buy like the, you know, foil alternate art, full frame, whatever version, probably. Right, right. But yeah, for Crocs and Uro specifically, when, you know, maybe these, these cards aren't spawning new archetypes or whatever, but there, there's definitely a lot to think about where it's like, okay, you know, say Croxa, for example, it's like you have this discard theme type of thing and it's like a Rakdos commander, like that's sort of like new space and interesting or just, you know, giving you a reason to play Rakdos in general. And then it like, it puts this body into play for a short period of time. Is there anything that this can trigger off of? Like you can sack them to Witch's Oven or whatever, you know, like there's a lot of cool things that you can do with these cards because they're unique. And I think that gets people excited as long as, you know, Croxa didn't cost six or whatever, right? right? If it's somewhat aggressively costed, then cool. But those cards were very clearly costed to get into Constructed and... I don't know. I mean, maybe you're banking on those cards hitting constructed. Maybe you want them to hit constructed. You, like you want some amount of escape to hit constructed, right? Yeah. It's weird to me. Like there's a lot of things to think about, but to, to answer your question specifically, those, those cards could be worse and they would still be exciting. I'm pretty sure. I think so. And that's a really easy example because they're big bodies, but like, I think the same argument applies to cards like fires of invention and wilderness reclamation it it doesn't feel to me like a bunch of cards that have been problematic lately have been off by one mana. It feels like they're off by two mana. And that means there's like this, this wiggle room that we have access to where we could be a little bit more conservative and not take these chances and still make meaningful cards that people will get interested in that don't just completely warp things and completely take over formats. I think five is probably fine for, I think so for a lot of these things. I, I, so I mean... Fire specifically is kind of silly because like you play fires on four and another spell. And then on turn five, you get to play two five drops or like Cavalier and then find another five drop and play that. Right. But if you change it to five mana, you're still single spelling on turn four and basically single spelling on turn five. So, you know, it, it, it changes the, the fundamentals of how that deck plays out by a lot. And that, that's that specific example, but like wilderness reclamation is kind of the same thing. And also, you're giving your opponent an extra turn to either, you know, set up, maybe play out some extra creatures or play a card drawing spell to look for the answer uh, to your fires or wilderness reclamation that's coming down the next turn. But just like turn four is so quick. And especially, you know, wilderness reclamation at gross spiral, Omnath has Lotus Cobra and a bunch of other accelerants. It's just, it's so soon. 
you're telling me that I play like my one drop in my grizzly bear and you have like a cobra and an omnath? Like, how are you winning that game? You're usually not, is the answer to that question. Right. I, I think the long term thing that has to happen is need to consider a lot of where things went wrong during this period. And a lot of it is just like the typical free mana. We we tried it again for some reason. You, you can't do it. It doesn't work. It breaks magic almost every time. But if you're going to take shots and like you for some reason think that you have the equation figured out this time, just do it more safely. And I, I think you have the cushion to still try and do inventive, creative things that get people excited and not necessarily bury every standard format under them. And it's not going to be like a popular stance, but I feel bad for (laughs) wizards in this scenario because so much of this set is so cool. Like you and I were over the moon in preview season. We had lots of decks to build. I still like the set. Yeah, abstractly I do, but like as it relates to the standard format, obviously it has not delivered what I hoped for. And it's a shame because there's all this really cool stuff going on below the surface. My hope is that we can take an aggressive line here to unlock all of that stuff, expose the good work being done, and then take some steps going forward to try and avoid having to do this week one cleanup ever again. This is this is the best Zendikar set, I'm pretty sure. It seems great. Uh, there's so many cool tribal things, uh, the double face cards. I mean, I'll just tell you as far as a limited format, and we always do this early on in a limited format, but... I really think it's true this time. It feels like an all-timer. I like a lot of the mechanics here. I think Party's an awesome limited mechanic. Maybe my favorite. Uh, the double face tap cards are awesome for a limited environment. And I'm just having tons of fun playing the games. They play out the way that when I think of magic, that's what the Zendikar Rising limited games feel like. It's little exchanges, timing your spells appropriately, getting small advantages, making decisions that compound throughout the game that you have to think about very carefully. All the stuff I really love is all present in this set from a limited perspective. And then, like I said, just from a creative perspective, there was tons of things I wanted to do when it came to building decks and standard. They just got dwarfed by the power of Omnath, Uro, Escape, maybe Lucky Clover, maybe Embercleave, who knows? A lot of powerful stuff out there. Dude, can you imagine playing like Once Upon a Time to find your Cobra no. Omnath or Fabled no. Passage? Jerry, there's so many and- <laughs> cards that are supposed to still be here. Like, that's also, what's really jaw-dropping. Also have Omnath alongside Oko. Like, what, nope. what a great format this would be. No. I mean, I guess I guess Oko answers Omnath and Lotus Cobra. Right? I mean, not, so. not really, right? Like, Omnath still gave you a card and you have a 3-3 three, three left. I mean. Yeah, and you get the four damage to Planeswalkers, maybe. I don't know. It, it's all, it's actually unfathomable. Like, the world we're supposed to be living in, there's just some of the most powerful magic cards ever made. And even after loads of bans, we're still dealing with a format that feels unsustainable long term. Dude, on your on your Genesis ultimatum turn, you could just like elk all their stuff after you oh cast like God. three Genesis ultimatums. Please stop. I can't even <laughs> think about it. It would be such I can't gas. even consider it. No. Not gas. <laughs> oh man, I I would have to play Urian because there would be too many good cards. Right. You can never choose them all. I guess we'd still be doing Fires of Invention plus Omnath stuff too, so who knows how good that is. I mean, I, like 4-4 four, four, ETB draw card is good, but like how good is like, you know, doubling your mana when you have fires? You can only play two spells. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's that's the first strike against it. I mean, you could still use your mana, right? Like you could still cast your Genesis Ultimatum if that's where yeah. you're still so, so what off. 
what it really is like what it realistically does is probably make it so you have two fires in your deck you have okay. like two two mana yeah, engines, yeah. so you get the redundancy that's probably more realistic yeah, that doesn't sound good or no because then you play shark typhoon too and then you can like just omnath into giant shark. oh let's stop let's stop i'm getting like cold sweats right now thinking about this format it sounds like a great format let's do that no i'm pretty sure that's what pioneer looks like actually so well, you might be right. And if it doesn't right now, it's on its way there. It is on its way. I did a, a little bit of a, a look-see in, and the the Omnath decks and Pioneer have Gross Spiral and Agent of Treachery. Yep. Yeah, we might not be done dealing with Omnath's Wrath across multiple formats. It looks quite strong in Pioneer. Well, I, I mean, to be fair, the, old, the, the farther back you go, like the older formats have better aggressive decks and better disruptive tools and stuff like that. And we're, we're trying to get by with uh, rogues in standard currently. Yeah. Which agonizing remorse. Yeah. My it's for thoughtsies, please. Right. And it's close, you know, it's still close to being viable or whatever, but uh, I, I think, you know, older formats, they have more of a shot to actually dealing with it, but yeah, fair enough. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, uh, we, we could talk about modern, I guess. Yeah, our plan was to come back and talk standard. We wanted to do like the new Magic Arena deck dump. Uh, as far as I can tell, that has not happened yet. Yeah, I and looked. Even, I even looked. if it did, it's like kind of a dead format. So I don't think that was the right thing to do. So uh, we're going to head to modern for the first time in a while. Yeah, I like how they're like, oh, we're going to do this deck dump. And then it's like, ooh, better not release that data. <laughs> better not post those deck lists. Yeah, we'll, so, try, again ne- we'll try again next week. <laughs> we'll look yeah, back at that. Yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, so... Uh, we have a modern league from Magic Online dated September 22nd is when these lists went up and a lot of Zendikar cards showed up in modern and it's it's really cool. I agree. There's They're doing neat stuff. I also think it's really cool that the Magic Online decklist site continues to be broken. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they have done the fine, fine work of highlighting all the new cards that are appearing in these decks. They fall under other as opposed to just like actually being put in the right columns of creature, land, instant, artifact, whatever. Uh, so we immediately know which of these decks contain new cards. And I think that's all we're going to talk about today. We're just going to skip the stuff that's built with the old cards and talk about the new cool stuff that we have happening. Yeah, the the sideboard doesn't do that. So we might miss card or might miss decks that only have cards in the sideboard. But right. Yeah, basically it's putting them under other because they're not in the database yet or something. Because normally when you hover over a card, it shows you the image and these doesn't, they just don't recognize them as magic cards. So, Yeah, weird little problem. But like I said, I think it's one that ultimately makes our job a little bit easier this week. Yeah, so. uh, the blind squirrel. Yeah, I'll take it. Cool. Uh, first up, we have Lucky Strike. These are all 5-0 deck lists and... They are playing green-white taxes with two Skyclave Apparitions and two Archon of Emeria. Uh, Skyclave Apparition, definitely a card that we thought had more of a chance to go into Pioneer and Modern, mostly because the, the spirit creature type is a little bit more well-supported there. But in this case, you know, doing normal Leon and Arbiter, Flicker Wisp stuff uh, with that card. Skyclave Apparition, actually one of the big winners i think in this deck dump it's something we're going to come across it's a bunch of times but i like our kind of america too actually if we want to just dip back into standard real quickly when i was trying to come up with ways to start challenging these omnath decks archon was a card i was really interested in 
And I think it had potential as a way to slow down their preposterous things that they could do. Obviously, they have outs to everything. Like they can always find a way around it, but it seemed like a decent plan. I mostly didn't find the support pieces I was looking for. I'm also really high in Rankle right now. So I tried doing some like Archon of Ameria Rankle mid-range flyers stuff. And it was close-ish. Everything feels close-ish right now. Yep. But ultimately couldn't keep pace with the just ridiculousness of the Omnath deck. But I, I like it a lot here. It's a little slow for modern. Three is a lot when it comes to modern, but the impact is large. Well, this deck dips into green for Noble Hierarch. So mm, good point. Yeah, you you can turn to this thing, which is great. Obviously, very, very excellent card against Fetchlands. Uh when we talked about the card, it was more of in the context of standard, but then we sort of talked about, you know, breaking the parody by playing things with Flash, but Aethervile obviously does a good job of helping you break the parody too. So good stuff. Uh, Basically, I think Modern is in a good place when you can play some sort of like white disruptive aggro deck. I totally agree with you. And I've seen some more combo focus builds of green-white starting to do well in Modern too. Again, just a good sign of format health, at least format health as we define it for Modern. There's still weird stuff growing on and broken stuff going on, and we'll get to the weird stuff in a second. But on the whole, this deck dump was pretty positive looking, and I actually think the results from like the challenges and the champs were also pretty promising when it came to modern. Yeah, I, uh, some outliers, but definitely very promising. Mm-hmm. All right, next up we have Doctor Queller. What do you think they're playing? No idea. Please tell me. Uh, four copies of Spell Queller, also three copies of Skyclave Apparition. Pretty normal looking Bant Spirits. Yeah, 21 land, three vial. This is this is fairly normal. I was working on this for I think PT London or something. Uh so yeah, this is all pretty much what I'm used to seeing. This is a deck that comes and goes from the metagame. It does look for some specific things to prey on, I think. Uh, and then it turns out to be like the better humans deck, basically, at times when it's very good. I think just getting apparition is a huge push in favor of this archetype over something like humans, though. A meaningful tribal type is worth a lot when you're loaded with lords like this deck is. But like we saw in the last deck, this is just a good card. It matters a lot in the modern context. It answers all the problematic stuff you might face. So big thumbs up to Skyclave Apparition. Yeah, I mean, you can protect it with Rattle Chains and Drog Skull Captain. And it being a spirit matters for Mausoleum Wanderer and the lords and stuff. And I, I, I can tell you playing this deck and trying to use like Reflector Mage or Deputy of Detention. It hurt. Yeah, those those cards very much just felt like this is a clunky three-mana removal spell, but doesn't really fit into my Flyer's game plan. You know, also Apparition has Flying. So I, I think it is a pretty huge get. And also, it's not like, you know, in the case of Deputy, it's like if they kill it, they just get their thing back immediately. You know, this this is like no matter what, it effectively gets O-Code, right? Right. Yeah, they get a pretty blank piece of cardboard most of the time as it relates to how you are playing the game. Like a ground, whatever, 3-3, three, 4-4. Three, four, four. It's just not going to matter much to the Spirits deck in a lot of instances. And I, I think that's really, really important to keep note of. Yep. So so one point, though, real quick. I, I think you said flying on Skyclave Apparition. I don't think that's right. Oh, it doesn't fly? It doesn't fly, no. Ooh, Is that spirit, makes sense. doesn't fly. That makes sense. I played against it and I was wondering why my opponent wasn't attacking with it. Now you know. Uh, it seems like it should. I don't blame you for thinking a spirit would it's fly. It's like a floaty ghost thing. I know. I know. There's a, And also, I will tell you what actually messes me up way more. It's called Skyclave. 
Anything yeah. called Skyclave, I immediately assume it flies. No, nah, the shade doesn't fly. I know. I know none of them do, but if it has the name Skyclave, I think it flies and I have to reprogram my brain. Uh, I had a bunch of actually really interesting games with Skyclave Apparition and Limited. And I think that's why it's cemented for me that this card does not fly. Although when you first said it, I didn't immediately stop you. So it took a second for my brain to catch up and and get there. Yeah, I, I think uh, the Skyclaves are like the Skyhedrons that were like infected and all the creatures surrounding surrounding them like mutated. I could be wrong about that. I know that there are skyhedrons. Maybe that's not the skyclave, but that's my guess. Well, I welcome welcome to Lore Corner with Jerry. Yeah, Johnson. so like you're they they live in the sky, but they don't need to fly to be there because they have like floating sky castle. That makes sense to me. Checks out. Yeah. All right, skipping through some boring modern decks with no new cards. Boo. Boo, Urza, boo. Okay, Heracot Rouge playing some Hedron Crabs and Isn't some Heracot. Cra- is that beans? I don't know. I think it means beans. I think I think his name translates to red beans, possibly in French. This is very important. Googling. Thank you. The people are dying to know. An edible How- bean of a variety with small white seeds. I don't okay. know why I know that. That that is that is I mean vegetarian, right? So uh, I guess so. I do eat a lot of beans. Anyway, uh playing some mill. Mill has been doing well. They got ruined crab. You can now eight crab. You can add eight crab to the list of eight whack and eight rack as viable modern archetypes, I suppose. And I mean he drunk crab was like the best card, right? In the deck. So Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, basically getting extra copies of it, making this deck uh, a lot stronger doesn't surprise me all that much. There's still a ton of variety in these decks. Uh, like I even saw an Azorius version that might've been in this deck dump or in uh, one of the preliminaries. I don't really remember, but hey, if you drawn crab, you have uh, the new two mana mill eight that can turn into a traumatize, just a ton of different options. And this, this one has thieves guild enforcer too, which I'm not a super big fan of like you get a little bit of milling from it and then it blocks something, but I think you can do better than that. It feels like we're almost considering being able to play multiple plans here with some aggression from Thieves Guild Enforcer. And I say that because there are a lot of interactive spells in this deck. There's two Devour Flesh, two Fatal Push, three Drown in the Lock. Like you're kind of challenging your opponent's stuff. You have Cling to Dust to gain a little life. Uh, and that's like, you could just play Crypt Incursion, which this deck does. It's got copies of both. But like Cling to Dust says to me, you're trying to do a little more in terms of maybe just letting the game go long and getting there with chip damage. It, it's weird no, that Thieves Guild so Enforce is the only source, but... This this is kind of normal, I think. Like Cling as a way to stop Uro is, is fine and makes sense to me. And it's a cheap way to gain life. And... The, as far as like push, devour flesh, uh, I, I've seen some copies of this deck that have a bunch of pushes and blood chiefs thirsts. So like playing okay. a bunch of spot removal spells is not that out of the ordinary. And then uh, drown in the lock, I think is just a good card when you're playing this deck. It's, it's just so hard for me to defend thieves guild enforcer with the thought being like mill three block or mill two block something. Yeah, like, I mean this really this doesn't is a- seem very strong. This is a Luris deck too. Like they they have Luris as their companion, but then sideboard a bunch of three mana permanents that have like Insuring Bridge and stuff. So I don't know if there's like consideration for that necessarily, but I don't know. 
Interesting. I've certainly been familiar with the mill decks. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you that I've queued up any leagues with mill. Although if I had a big modern tournament coming up, I would give it a run. I mean, I I like the way it's moving on to a different axis and it's very consistent now. So yeah. Yeah. I, I own the mill cards. I, I own this deck. So the fact that like archive traps are going up as a result of rune crab makes me pretty happy, but I think I probably own everything but Mesmeric Orb, if I had to guess. Dude, that's that's a staple. You need that one. I know. They can't be expensive. You're going to tell me they're like $200 or something ridiculous, aren't you? They were like 15 or 20 last time I checked, but there's also been like a bunch of weird sets where they might have been reprinted, so I don't know. Okay. Let, let's be serious. I probably don't have any paper modern tournaments on my near horizon, so I don't need to fill in that gap anytime soon. Yep. Next one I want to talk about is Yamakiller playing... Uh, the Allosaurus Rider Neoform deck, and he doesn't have them, but you can play Turn Timber Symbiosis. And I would imagine that not playing them is like a very conscious choice. Yeah, why do you think you would go that route? Do you think protecting your life total that important? I mean, life total does matter a little bit when you're trying to like Gristlebrand through your deck, but uh, all the dual lands also make blue-green, so like, you know, maybe... You have Chancellor of the Tangle, and you want your land drop to always make blue for Neoform. I could see that as as a potential point, but I know that there are definitely some games where you know you lose because you don't have enough green cards to exile for Allosaurus because you drew like two or three lands, which is yeah. pretty unfortunate. So you could play around that to some degree if you wanted to, but yeah. uh, Yamakiller, who is very good, decided that that was not worth it, and that is that is worth something. That is a little bit of information that you can take away if you're considering this archetype. Yeah, it could come up with Nourishing Shoal, too. Uh, having another green card there matters Hell quite yeah. often. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's 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 eight life or seven life, right? Seven life, yeah. So interesting decision, but like you said, I'm going to respect someone who has played far more Neoform than I have. And Yamakiller probably streamed it, too, would be my guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, Sin for Life 54, another mono-white, well, another Taxes deck. This one is mono-white. Uh, three Skyclave Apparition, one Archon of Emeria. So basically this, the same stuff going on here. Uh, this one has a Stoneforge Mystic Package. Always gives me a little pause when I see Stoneforge alongside Leon and Arbiter. But when I was writing about Stoneforge coming back, I was like, I'm pretty sure you just do this anyway. Uh, I miss Noble Hierarch a lot here. I, it seems yeah, very important to me. And I don't know if that these cards are actually powerful enough to exist without Hierarch in the mix. So... That's my criticism of this deck, uh, but it got a lot better with Skyclave Apparition. All these decks benefit a ton. All right, what do you think about this? Dub O2. You can tap for a white mana only to cast a creature spell. It's cool. Cool little <laughs> cool little identity for uh, white. I mean, white needs something, right? It does need something. We keep talking about expanding white's color pie mm-hmm. or and stealing some paying of stuff off back. Other creatures, it kind of fits with the lift each other up mentality of the white color pie. I, I buy it. You could sell me on it. Mm. I got I got some other kind of parallel ideas to that, but I'm not going to share them because who cares? So we can just move on. Wow, you're really embracing the Wizards of the Coast role I gave you earlier in the show. Just <laughs> Dude, I used, I used to work for them. It didn't work out. Designing new cards for them? Free of charge? What a generous man you are. No, they're they're actually like not allowed to look at Oh right, right. Yeah. I've heard at, that. Yeah, they can't look at other people's submissions. They they just can't accept them because then if they ever use something similar, they can get sued. Yeah. Well, 
I, I don't Mr. know that Boyer. I believe that. I don't know if I believe that or not, but that's well, how they feel. So you, <laughs> that's you, the policy in place. You could, in theory, and their lawyers are very good at, you know, playing around it, basically. Yes. They they always play around it. I will give you that. All right. Ocelot823. How do you feel about ocelots? Dope. All animals are dope. Ocelots are cool looking. I... I'm like slightly intimidated by them, I guess. Like any large cat just has such fearsome killing capacity that it could unleash at any time. So I'm not going to invite one into my home, dude. But I, I appreciate them from a distance. Mistake, man. You just got to have the good cat treats, dude. I have so many cats that visit my backyard. They they, so, they just heard. They heard I had the good stuff. So ocelots aren't that big, right? They're like mid-range when it comes to the big cat family. Yeah, but then you just, dude, you, you've seen the videos of people giving like tigers belly rubs and stuff, right? You know, they're all claws and teeth until you just like scratch them behind the ears and that's game. Did you watch Tiger King and the scene I, with the missing I arm? tried. Uh, okay. I started watching it and I was just like, this is so horrible. I can't stand it, this. I can't stand it, any part about this. It was truly horrible in like, I'm pretty immune to the reality TV car crash stuff that draws attention really hard because it's so disastrous. Uh, I couldn't get away from that one. I, I watched the whole thing. Okay, whatever. I, I am going to belly rub a tiger at some point in my life, I swear to you. Make sure you've done everything else you wanted to do in the world before you <laughs> Maybe it'll be a, a supervised belly rub. I don't know. I, anyway. I think like there's some merit to I have lived my life. I don't have much time left. This is important to me. What happens, happens. And then you get to belly rub a tiger. Just make sure the tiger is well taken care of. That's all I ask. Yeah. I mean, dude, if I get taken out by a tiger trying to give it love, I mean. You deserved it. Yeah, it, it was just my time, you know. Right. And I, I won't say I've lived a great life, but I've lived a life. Sure. It hasn't That's been a, you can ask for. It hasn't been a full life or a long life, but, you know, it's, it's still there. Anyway. Uh, Ocelot is rocking some Scourge of the Skyclaves, and this is this is a weird build. Uh, this is I- I'm just gonna re- read off the list basically. So four Liliana the Veil, three Croxa, three Phyrexian Obliterator, three Seasoned Pyromancer, maybe my favorite card of all time. Uh, four Inquisition of Cosmic, two Thoughtseize, one Angrath's Rampage, one Abrade, four Fatal Push, two Coligon's Command, four Lightning Bolt, one Terminate. 24 lands total, including four Graven Cairns to facilitate Obliterator Season Pyromancer, which is smart. Yeah, this is this is weird. Ex- explain this to me. Do you get this? Very mid-range-ish approach to Scourge of the Skyclave's archetype. And I, I like Scourge in Modern. I think it's an important card. And we're going to get to more decks which contain it. But no, I, I don't really get this one. It feels like its goals are a little bit conflicted. It's not really ever interacting with its own life total. Like you can, you have your Bloodstained Myers, Polluted Delta, Thoughtseize, all that stuff. Blood crypt. Uh, but even I then. Mean, Fetch Blood Crypt is like traditional Death Shadow type of stuff, right? Like it's not that uncommon to just have well, this be a 5-5 five, five pretty soon. Assuming yeah. your opponent's kind of doing the same thing. Right. You have to go after your opponent too. And I don't think this deck is like good at that really at all yeah it's not good at pressuring your opponent's life total it seems like you want to play really long so i almost question it's like are we supposed to kick this a large percentage of the time like is that actually our plan here 24 lands point me in that direction nah that's 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 too far gone i think you just like bolt face or like crocs of them to enable this thing or just assume that they're gonna fetch shock 
I don't know, man. I think you're asking for a lot to go well. And it just seems like if you want this card, you wanted Death Shadow. And there's this deck has really never historically picked up Death Shadow when it could have. Uh, it seems like that's an easier setup than getting Scourge of the Skyclaves to break your way. So I'm not really sold on the idea here. I think there are better things to do with Scourge. Uh, I would like if this was good. I mean, Phyrexian Obliterator is high on the list of my favorite cards of all time. I've played it a little bit in Pioneer, or excuse me, Historic. So uh, I like it there. I've never won with it there, but like I okay. put it into play a few times and felt pretty good about it. So, And I've seen some goofy combo stuff. Uh, so it, it's cool. I like this deck, but I don't quite think the puzzle is all put together. I think it's just relying on a lot of really powerful cards. Okay, well, let's let's get to the next deck then. This is by I Still Have Eczema. I'm sorry about that. This one has two Scourge of the Skyclaves, and this is just fairly traditional Grixis Death Shadow with a couple extra threats in the mix, basically cutting down on Snapcaster Mages to facilitate them. I mean, I think a lot of the stuff you said about the last deck could be said about this, where you're not that great at pressuring your opponent. And, you know, maybe the creator realized that because they're only including two copies of Scourge. Yep. I think this is getting warmer to what I would want to do with Scourge of the Skyclaves, uh, but we're not there yet. And I'm pretty sure we get there in this decked up and then I'll, I'll put that deck over, but it's it's got a problem that it doesn't pressure your opponent's life total particularly well. Did you need your fifth and sixth copy of Death Shadow in the traditional Death Shadow deck? Yes. Maybe. Maybe yes. you benefit from it. Because like you you played Tarmogoyf in Jund, and sure. that card was like pretty mopey, to be honest. And you were still just like, well, I, I kind of just have to play all of them. And then you know, we figured out that we could play Grixis and get Gurmag Angler and stuff like that. And like you need you need a secondary threat for sure. And even having like a ninth or tenth threat isn't the worst thing. Okay. Yeah, I, I think you can make a good case that some number of Scourge of the Skyclaves will benefit this archetype. Uh, I just think you can go harder on this yes. card and really get paid for it. I, I agree with that. I will note that this Grixis list has three lightning bolts, uh, which they don't normally have. Normally it's just like fatal pushes all the way down and you know, right. a, a lightning bolt if you need another removal spell. And this one has two push and three bolts. So yeah, maybe bolt face is just the plan. Small concession there. I like it. I, I just have to point out like Scourge of the Skyclaves, significantly worse than Death Shadow on multiple axes. Like calling it our fifth and sixth copy is probably a little generous. And I, I just am concerned about plans that are not fully on board with maximizing this card because I do think it asks you for a little bit more work. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, a couple oh. cleansing wildfire in the sideboard too. I think we'll have oh, more to say about that, that card as time. That card on. is nice. Yeah. The next list in the deck dump is Amulet. That again, I think you can play the green DFC turn timber symbiosis. Yeah, I think you should. I'm I'm pretty confident you should. I'm a little surprised to not see it here. So the, uh, the mana is tough for sure. Like you, I would, you, just, I would just play more lands. Like yeah. I would honestly be comfortable playing 32 lands. Well, and, yeah, this this deck has 30 lands and two explorers, so we can just cut those explorers for more lands, probably. Think so. This is yeah. also a Karn build of amulet. Like, there's a lot of other things going on that you don't necessarily have to do anymore when it comes to amulet. Right. Uh, we have a Luca Jeskai control deck from Gandalf the Gray that is light on new cards, just one Valakid Awakening, but 
it's it's kind of cool to see that as a card that can be a land or uh, just shuffle your Emrakul back into your deck. I mean, we have like Fire Prophecy and Sea Beyond and stuff to do that, but that's another option. Oh, I like putting it as part of your mana base. I also saw this card popping up a little bit in Legacy Lands, which I thought was pretty interesting too. Dude, I love that. Yeah. That is awesome, actually. Too bad we can't loan these things. Yeah, that is the one downside, but you get paid a lot for like loaming other stuff. I mean, this is what we talked about. I think when we first saw Valakut Awakening is combining it with trashy cards and, uh, you know, Legacy Lands is very good at producing trashy cards. And also this is just another land you get to play in a lot of instances. So it seems quite good there. Ganyan CHN playing uh, zero lands, but 23 new cards. Uh, 23 DFCs alongside Goblin Charbelcher and kind of what you would expect. Desperate Ritual, Predic Ritual, Simeon Spirit Guide. Iron Crag Feet is kind of a new one that works pretty well with Belcher. And then uh, Blood Moon, Chalice of the Void, and Recross the Paths, which a lot of people are questioning, but it basically just stacks your deck. And then there are some sideboard plans that go along with that. Yeah, there's no basically about it, right? You just get to actually stack your deck well you uh, you get reforged the soul on top which is the big thing right right and then you get immediate reloads uh so this is the deck you and i saw it earlier in the week and we kind of went oh boy i don't know that this is broken i don't know that this is problematic for modern it didn't dominate tournaments or anything like that it's weird to see i don't know that it's good to have this exist and this is one of the ways large card pools and bending the traditional rules of magic can go a little sideways. I think this is probably a flash in the pan. I don't think it does much to the format. So in that scenario, it's fine. It's cool to see something new, but it gave me pause when I saw this and I was like, oh, is this the type of thing we really want to be enabling? Because this is not fun magic to play. Your opponent gets to stack their deck across from you and you can lose on turn one very very much in play blood moon to lock your opponent out of the game love that people love being locked under blood moon so there's a bunch of stuff here that does not feel great yeah but on the bright side the deck is so threat light that you know force of negation is a pretty good check to stuff like that so it is again i'm happy that that card exists and obviously there are a lot of thoughts these decks running around and everything so i i think it is, it is frustrating. It's not good gameplay. It's very similar to what we were talking about in Standard where, okay, maybe it's not busted, but it's still, you know, it's not doing anything good for the formats. Like, why does this exist? But Yeah, Modern bears the weight of that much better than Standard does. So True. if, like, this is a one-off thing, I, I don't really have any gripe about it. Uh, it's just very strange to see the first time. And when you know it can win on turn one, you know, I've made the case that despite Neoform basically never winning anything, Besides one tournament ever, won by Matsugan, of course. I think it should still be eliminated from the format. I just don't think anyone benefits from it being around. And you can make some of the same arguments with a deck like this that is capable of winning on turn one, but really neither here nor there. And you can just hit it if it's a problem, if that's your philosophy. Yep. Uh, next deck from Mordekaiser, uh, Niv Mizzet Reborn with Urian and two copies of Omneth. I think that number is going to go higher as time goes on. I would think so. It's, it is kind of weird to me that, I mean, a lot of these decks have started with like, you know, two copies, you know, we'll, we'll just play two and like try it out, see how it is. And 
the decks aren't really morphing around Omnath very much. It's just like, well, I can very easily play this and it kind of like fits with what I'm trying to do. But, you know, you're going up to Niv-Mizzet, you know? Why yeah. are you not just playing four copies of Omnath? Like, like Niv-Mizzet can draw you like six cards or whatever, but, I mean, Omnath, I think, is just a better card pound for pound. Yeah, I guess you can't hit it off Niv-Mizzet. That certainly is not enough to talk me off of it especially given the fact that you just are loaded up with fetch lands. Like we're playing evolving wild sometimes in standard so we can get this double activation and you get it mostly free here. It's very easy to do this. Three is not going to happen ever. Is that right? Three. Trying to give a quick look. Three land drops in a single turn. Well, you can just sandbag fetches. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Certainly won't be a big part of the plan. Not like... In standard, where you just go off and dome your opponent for 20 over the course of a turn and cycling through all your Omnaths or anything like that. So these are a little bit fairer Omnaths somehow in the modern format, but I think they're more consistent. And well, this deck it, just needs a secondary threat to it. It will benefit from having that. Has Uro too. So that that kind of makes it pretty easy. But even, so just jamming Omnath on four is, is cool. I, I think this deck is completely fine doing that, but also... Uh, turn five Omnath into Fetchland, just like cleanly cast Nimizid or Bring Delight. Mm. Sounds and, good. I mean, this deck has Utopia Sprawl too, so you get to accelerate a little bit. So I don't know. I I just card is too good. I maybe just like stop being a Nimizid deck and start being an Omnath deck. Oh, that's only a matter of time until we start doing that in modern too. Yeah, and again, four cleansing wildfires in the sideboard. Love to see it. Also, uh, one Gaia's blessing for the mill decks, and I've seen that show up a little bit or playing like an Eldrazi in your sideboard. So right, right. That's, a, that's a thing that you need to prep for. Can't love to see that if you are the mill decks, although they often have multiple ways to play around that. So yeah. Scrolling through all these silly deck lists, not playing new cards. And here we get to uh, D Frank playing basically like the Uro feel of the dead pile that people were playing not too long ago, except now it has three copies of Omnath and yeah, I mean, you can you can play this as just Bant or just Teamer or whatever, but this one gets to play Ren 6 and Teferi and Omnath and just, you know, all the broken mythics from standard past. So uh, this, this deck is solid. This deck is good. Deck should definitely be called the Ghosts of Standard Past. Uh, I guess like using Ren and 6 kind of breaks that a little bit, but still. And, I mean, and Teferi is not mythic, so I mean. It, mm. it, 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 all, it all falls apart under scrutiny. Look, most of what I say does. You just got to let it run by and try and get the points before people really let it sink in. Seagate Restoration. This is the first time I think we've seen one of the mythic double face lands played for just like value. Obviously, it was in the Belcher deck, but that's to skirt the rules a little bit. I am surprised by that. I think these cards are quite good, particularly like Agadim's Awakening. Seems like a very easy include in some Death Shadow builds to me. Uh, maybe you have to change some other stuff around the mana base, and it doesn't really work with like the really hard commitment to Grixis. But I think you can explore doing things built around that card because it's good enough to do so. So I'd like to see people reconsider that. I even think you can go back to like Fiend Artisan type stuff and Stitcher Supplier combinations, and there's all kinds of good stuff you can do in Modern for a pretty fair take on Death Shadow that gets really hard upgraded by Agadim's Awakening. But I like the one Seagate Restoration here. I'm surprised some of the more controlling like Jeskai stuff doesn't do the same thing. I don't know. I mean, one thing I'll say is that people have not embraced these cards the same way you and I have 
even when it comes to standard. Although the more time that people seem to spend with the Omnath decks, I notice more and more double face cards creeping into their deck. I can't say I'm shocked. Yeah, Seagate Restoration in this one initially made me double take because it was just like, the idea is that you will cast this card at some point, right? And in this case, like you have Hour of Promise to accelerate you. You have Ran and Six to pick up land drops or to accelerate you. It's like, okay, yeah, maybe you cast this. But realistically, I'm pretty interested in stuff like this because of Field of the Dead. Yeah, just another basic, essentially, uh, another land type to go ahead and put into play. So I buy that too. Yeah, not an island for Mystic Sanctuary, but I mean, you know, you're going to put enough lands onto the battlefield that, yeah, you can't Sanctuary on turn four a lot of the time. But, you know, when it gets to turn five, six, seven, when you actually do start wanting to do it, it just, it doesn't matter. You're going to have enough islands. Right. No pathways yet either, I would note. Uh, true. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe not great for a deck like this. Uh, but oh, yeah. uh, agreed. I was but, speaking more generally. Yeah, I mean, like maybe green-white taxes. I don't know. I, I didn't look at that mana base explicitly, but maybe there are just enough dual lands already that you know, you'd rather just have like a Temple Garden or Razor Verge Thicket, and that just ends up being worse than all those. Sure. Uh, again, Cleansing Wildfire in the sideboard. Good card. Yeah, we're going to get to some main deck ones and then we can really do our spiel on that. Yep. Spider Space, uh, Mono White Taxes, Spider Space. Very good at uh, like these low to the ground, like disruptive aggro decks. And I, I kind of trust them on what they're doing with the archetype. This one has four Skyclave Apparition, two Archon of Emeria, and one Maul of the Skyclaves. Love it. Wasn't expecting to see that card Stone in Forge. the modern deck dump. Yeah. Okay. The card has been very strong against me. Uh, I've seen it a little bit in standard, a little bit in limited. I've been impressed by it. And if you're throwing Stoneforge in the Stoneforge Mystic in the mix, I believe you can find spots where it's quite good. Next deck is from Hot Bread. I almost uh, tweeted this one when I saw it because I was so excited. This is <laughs> Naya Landfall Scapeshift. This is this is like an old school Billy Moreno special. I think he was the first one that I saw playing like Step Links, Knight of the Reliquary, Scapeshift, and this deck gets Steplinks, Akum Hellhound, Brushfire Elemental, and Elvish Reclaimer as their early drops. And then you have like Atarkas Command Lightning Bolt. You have Renin Six to keep making your land drops and Scapeshift as a finisher for uh, all the landfall creatures. And then you also just get to be a Luris deck with Mistress Bobble. So back when I still believed that you could just brew whatever you wanted in modern and find success. Because I think back then it was easier to do so. The cards weren't quite as powerful. I must have flirted with the Scapeshift Landfall deck dozens of times. And I went back to it over and over and over. Because it feels like there should be something there. And no real concept of how good this deck is now. But the redundancy that it has picked up with multiple one-drops, uh, Step Links, and Akum Hellhound. I kind of believe it. I kind of believe this could be something good. I don't know if it's top tier, but... This definitely sparks my interest enough that I want to go ahead and give it a shot. I think it's close. I mean, before you you basically had step links as your turn one thing, and there there wasn't a lot of other great ways to actually put pressure Huge on your drop opponent. off after that. Yeah, yeah. So now you have Hellhound on top of it, and you have Elvish Reclaimer with Flagstones, which is pretty cool. I, I'm a little skeptical about the Reclaimer, not going to lie, but whatever. And 
I don't know, man. It, it just it feels so much stronger too that now even if they do kill all your creatures, they run you out of gas. You you have Luris. Go to Luris, yeah, and not this, a bad plan. The sideboard has a feel of the dead too. So if you want to get like really late and scape shift into yep. that thing, that that's another game plan. It's like this deck has all the angles. I like it. I like it a lot. I think this is a well built version of this archetype, and you could do worse than spending some time really getting this one to hum. And you can you can also scape shift early with a flagstones, right? You could like scape shift on sure. six lands to trigger a field. Makes sense to me. Uh, are there enough different lands to get? What do we have? Yeah, you should be good. It's a weird tension because you're also trying to maximize your fetch lands, right? For just natural beatdowns. So. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, if you have if you have six lands in play, one of them's a flagstones. I, I guess you can just try and fetch like multiple sacred foundries, because uh, that's the one you have the most of. And then yeah, you if you know able, you're building towards this plan, yeah, yeah, you should be able to like mix fetches in the field to get there because there's also okay. like sigiri steps or in sea cliffs so you, you have some one-off lands but your mana post scape shift might be awkward if you care about that i, th- I think the thought is if you got the scape shift off scape shift off you're doing okay so yeah hopefully that's true uh next up karusu with uh kiki cord they they've just absolutely been crushing it with this deck this is a urian version and not too much in the way of new stuff, just a Skyclave Apparition, which seems, again, like a pretty good upgrade to, you know, Deputy Detention type of stuff, and this deck is just Naya anyway. And then there's a Balagad Recovery in the sideboard, which is confusing. Very confusing. I won't even guess. I, I have no idea. But I will tell you that the Kiki Cord devotees, they have a reason for everything, and it's usually a pretty good reason, and they usually have played this deck so much that they just know these gameplay spots are bound to come up and they're like, this is how I get through this specific situation. I'm, I'm willing to go down that rabbit hole. A lot of the time, this is not one of them. Okay. I have faith in Kurosu. I've never actually seen a Kurosu deck before, but you say they're a Kiki cord devotee. I know what these people are like. My friend, Max Brown was obsessive about this deck and had a stretch in like the old modern PTQ era where he had like six PTQ top eights in the span of a two month period, all playing Kiki Cord, all changing like a ridiculous card every single time that would pay huge dividends in some matchup down the road that made no sense to anyone else. So, yeah, I'm just, I'm not seeing it with that one. But if you want to look up Caruso on Goldfish, it's just, you know, a, a list of five O's with just this deck. So they're kind of the master. Anyway, uh, JTL005, another mono white deck. Mana base is weird. Four camera souls, four field of ruin, 15 snow covered plains, aether vial, uh, one copy of mana tithe, and then, you know, some Heliod stuff, but like life gainy. And then the new cards are Luminarch, Aspirant, and Skyclave Apparition. So Aspirant is good with walking ballista. So this, this deck is like, you know, the, the combo is there, right? But they're not really leaning into it. I like Aspirant quite a bit. I never actually thought to combine it with Walking Ballista, but I'm sure there are some archetypes where doing so is lights out, probably a very effective plan. And maybe it actually helps your combo turns out a little bit, make those a little bit easier to achieve as well. So I'd be willing to give it a shot. Uh, This looks a little soft to me, a little narrow in its approach. And I think you can find better ways to go after these combo type setups. 
Uh, I saw a green-white Heliod deck, which looked pretty promising to me, kind of an amalgam of this and scales. Yep. So a little bit more interested in that approach. But I do like Luminarch Aspirin as a card, and I like what we're doing with it here. I think it's good. I'm not sure if it actually reaches back to modern or not, but I don't know. It's not like the white true drops, like especially if you're not doing very disruptive things. They're they're all pretty interchangeable, probably. At least this gets the combo with Ballista potentially. Yeah, I, I wish there was like a good one to load up, so you just had a really nice curve out to bank on with Luminarch Aspirant. But yeah. I can't think of anything offhand. Yeah, like loading up your Giver of Runes is not super exciting. Right. All right, continuing on, scrolling down. Uh, there is a dubious challenge, Charming Prince deck with, you know, no new cards or whatever. But I don't know, maybe this is another one that could play the green DFC. Surprising lack of these cards. And we have KK Hyphen with... Uh, Orzov, Eldrazi with two Skyclave Apparitions. Not super shocking there. Good pickup for that deck. Ballastin, 93. Eight Crab. Three Blood Chief's Thirst in addition to four Fatal Push. Uh, two Ashiok Dream Render. That's, you know, it fits into your game plan and is main deck graveyard hate. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Two, yeah. f- two Fraying Sanity, which is a card that people have kind of like ignored in this archetype not like ignored but like they've tried it and just been like oh it's too slow but once you have eight crabs it might actually be good enough okay and i don't know just small things like one miko koro in the mana base love me a miko koro which one i don't even know what that card does uh it, it taps for colorless and then you can pay two and tap it to have each player draw a card okay very nice. And a Boro here as well. I, I think I know what that one does. Blue return to your hand, right? Uh, it's colorless to return to your hand. Taps for blue. Colorless return to your hand. Thank yeah. you. Uh, oh, that, oh. that seems quite good here. Oboro is Palace of Bouncy Bouncy. So yeah, pretty good with the crabs. Make sure you don't run out of landfall shenanigans. But like Miko Koro does a lot of that same stuff too. Yeah, no drown in the lock here. Worth noting. It's, like, this seems like a more combo-centric approach with once you add fraying sanity, you're just like, okay, I just need to survive. And then I find burst mill essentially to get my opponent very quickly. Right. And I don't know, over the course of the like last few months, Monastery Swiss Spear has gotten very, very popular. And I, I think it's like died down a little bit since the initial rush, but I, I think, you know, four fatal push, three blood chiefs thirst is very cognizant of the fact that you want to kill that thing immediately, or at least, you know, be able to like crab into fetch a swamp and kill something and sure. drown in the lock being two mana, you know, maybe it's just not really what you care about. Maybe you don't care about countering anything or like killing bigger creatures or whatever It's just very much like I have to kill Swiss spear so we can race. Or yeah, blood chief thirst cleans up a lot of the problems in the format for sure. They all tend to be very low cost, so. Yeah, or uh, maybe now it's killing opposing crabs. Might be. Oh, no. Oh, we actually have to talk about this, I guess. All right, God Shadow, Azorius Control. Favorite card in the whole set. Azorius Control with two confounding conundrums, and Michael Majors has been on this kick for a long time where he's just using this alongside Field of Ruin and just things like that to like mildly annoy his opponents. Like <laughs> maybe not really actually get anywhere, but to provide a mild annoyance. And granted, Conundrum at least messes with all the fetch lanes in the format, right? So it does a if, little bit more. I mean, 
messes very slightly though in most instances if you're cognizant of it you can get them once but like you shouldn't ever be hard punished by confounding conundrum i guess you're playing like half a turn behind so okay maybe that's annoying enough yeah yeah and i I mean obviously if you have a lot of instant speed play maybe it doesn't matter all that much but right you can't it you can't just like play your fetch land yeah and and just use it immediately without having to pick up your land and for a lot of decks in modern, even like picking up their third or fourth land probably doesn't matter because they weren't going to hit their next land drop anyway. So, you know, it, again, mild annoyance. But that should have been the name of this card, quite frankly. Yeah, mild annoyance. Well, I mean, there there are like Euro decks, right? Like there are a lot of Euro decks in the format, and maybe this is a mild enough annoyance for them. I'm not sure. Have you played against Confounding Conundrum with the Omnath deck? So many times. Does it matter really ever? Like again, mild annoyance, and then you just beat it. I I so there was one game where I don't know that I would have won, but it definitely set me back a lot. Where basically I had like Omnath into Escape to the Wilds, and my hand was like all lands, mm-hmm. and I wasn't really able to develop as a result of that. But there were also games where it's like, okay, I have a Dryad and you know, all the, you know, Uro, the normal landfall-y things, and I'll just play the game as normal until I have enough stuff to actually just go off and pick up all my lands. And it's then it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. During the period I was doing the red-green landfall stuff, I did get to live the confounding conundrum, making my my deck actually better dream, which was pretty exciting. Okay. Yeah, that, that hasn't really come up for me, but I'm sure it could. It, it's tough for it to happen, but it can happen. But generally just a mild annoyance, and then you play through it and move on with your life. When Whenever I get paired against someone on Arena and I see, like, Yuri and Sky Nomad, I'm just like, all right, mild annoyance, here we come, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, that's about it. I've, I've never lost a match to it, I will say that. You might have just jinxed yourself, let's see. Well, I don't know. It's, it's a coin flip as to whether or not I play any more with Omnath before any action is taken, so we'll see. Okay. Scrolling through, scrolling through. Siege Rhino sighting. Okay, here's the good stuff. Here's the here's the good stuff. You ready? Mm-hmm. Cameron underscore one. They know what's up. As much as I hate, hate Jeskai Control in modern, this deck is fire. So there's 23 lands. We have Shark Typhoon, which I think is huge for this deck because before you were trying to kill with like Snapcaster and Lightning Bolt and Colonnade and... You didn't have, I mean, you could play like Think Twice and now you could play like Frantic Inventory and stuff like that, or you could just fire off a Cryptic Command. But like usually when your opponent just like passed, you had no way to spend your mana. And Shark Typhoon actually gives you something to do that with. And this deck is, granted, Planeswalker Heavy, Teferi Time Raveler, Hero of Dominaria, Jace, Seven Planeswalkers total, but they also have Cleansing Wildfire and Flagstones of Trocare. Yeah, that is this not is a hot. combo... That is not a combo that crossed my mind. And if you remember, we got, well, okay, maybe I got a little excited about things like brought back because I thought maybe if these decks could start playing ahead of curve, they could actually start competing in modern. Uh, that was bad. Didn't work whatsoever. But cleansing wildfire on your own flagstones Easy. in the matchups where like you don't need cleansing wildfire that sounds great to me. And also there's a bunch of matchups where you just benefit from having cleansing wildfire. And those are typically 
the problematic matchups for a deck like Jeskai Control. So I think this is a pretty big get for this archetype. I don't know that I'm sold and completely all in, but this does look promising and it's it's enough to get me to queue up a league. I'll say that. Dude, your your opponent's playing like no land dredge or no land belcher and you just get to wildfire them. Feels pretty good. Unless you get like turn one belcher, then obviously it feels bad. But now we, we always have the force negation. We're fine. Don't worry yes. about it. Yeah, uh, I'm. Yeah, I'm excited about this. Uh, I played a Pioneer League when I saw the Omnath list come out, and I am tempted, maybe not to play this exact list, but certainly to do some sort of shenanigans. I am curious if you need to do as much with these Planeswalkers now that you have access to Shark Typhoon. I feel like that package can shrink a little bit. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't really like them that much. Teferi is not a card that has impressed me in quite some time now. So a large Teferi, five mana Teferi I'm speaking about. So if I am looking for starting points to maybe trim all the fat here, I'm looking in that direction. But yeah, I, I can start with this list and take it from there. And maybe the whole paradigm changes when you finally add some acceleration to this deck and you can cleansing wildfire your flagstones. So right. I'll check it out. Cool. Report back. Next up, we have the Tunneling Cat with... Eldrazi Tron utilizing one Forsaken Monument. Have you played this card at all? No, it seems it seems kind of busted though. It's good. It's real good. I I I think if there are substantial changes to this standard, I don't know if people remember, but I shared a basically like monocolorless black deck where the only black spells were Blood Chief's Thirst and Agonizing Remorse. And this is standard, so a little bit off context, but it was four Forsaken Monuments, four Ugin, Stonecoil Serpent, basically all of the potential colorless creatures you can play because there aren't really that many good ones, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, and I, I, played, I, I tried looking, man. It was like, all right, Ginger Brute, Palladium yeah. Mirror, let's go. Uh, what's the one that gets the random counters? Like Crystalline Giant? Is that what it is? Yeah, yep. I had that in my deck. I had Palladium Mirror. So Mirror's fine when your goal is like get to an Ugin. Deck couldn't keep up with Omneth, like many other things in the format. But in terms of just like proof of concept, could this be something? It really impressed me. Like there were very, very strong turns with Forsaken Monument where your opponent just couldn't play back. Uh, I had four Maze Mind Tome as a source of card advantage, which like these decks shouldn't typically have. And then Love it. you get to scry really hard to your Ugins. So that deck I thought was super impressive. As far as the modern context... I don't know. I don't I don't think this changes anything for Eldrazi Tron, but it does use this card really well in terms of like it's a deck that both wants to ramp and has some beatdown plans as well. And pumping up these usually lame-o matter reshapers into a more impressive 5-4. Maybe that is enough where you can start to explore builds that push a little harder on Forsaken Monument and get the job done that way. It's a reasonable card target too. Sure. Yeah. Additional copy in the sideboard makes sense to me. Next deck is from Borgilla MTG10 or like Borgia. I don't know. This is this is a good looking deck list right here. This is Monastery Swiss Beer, Soul Scar Mage, Scourge of the Skyclaves. This is how you enable this card. Yep. You yep. Thoughtseize, you like fetch shock, Thoughtseize, attack them with Swiss Beers. This card is huge. It's it's alive, it's online. This and the next deck are what I have been waiting for. This is one way to do it, the more burn-focused way to go about things. And I think if there's a bunch of creatures in the format you want to kill, this is the way to go about it. You have just so many things to pick off opposing mana dorks or opposing 
uh, Monastery Swift Spears. So if it is a creature-focused format, I really like this approach to enabling Scourge of the Skyclaves, but I am bigger on the next deck in a vacuum. I think. The, the next deck is gas. This is a deck that makes me want to play a league somehow. Uh, K-U-H-B. This is... Cub. I, yeah, I don't know. This is uh, Death Shadow, Monastery Swift Spear, Akum Hellhound, Scourge of the Skyclaves. This is what the four-color Death Shadow deck basically always wanted to be, where yes. you don't have to have a bunch of extraneous colors anymore. You no longer have to splash step links. And this deck also has an Agadim's Awakening for good measure, which I think is rad because you have a lot of good ones, and now you have a decent good two. This deck is doing an excellent job at sizing both Death Shadow and Scourge of the Skyclaves. I understand why you want eight copies here because you do such a good job getting paid off on them. For Mutagenic Growth, uh, managing your life total. For Lightning Bolt, you're immediately on the battlefield with Monastery Swift Spear again. So all this looks amazing to me. And I think this could very well be a future top tier competitor, along with the previous deck as well. Like I think the metagame has to break a certain way where you really want to hard focus on removal like that. But this seems more just abstractly powerful. It's disruptive. It kills very, very quickly. And it just has a lot of redundancy built into these large creatures that are going to be tough for some decks to deal with. So I am on board with this particular deck list. Gayest blessing in the sideboard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Already accounting for the mill decks. There's also a bunch of Feed the Swarms in the sideboard of the last deck. And you and I talked a little bit about how that card could be important when you're trying to uh, preserve access to your graveyard in post-board games. So it's good to see that starting to break into cleansing wildfires in that sideboard as well. Four copies. Yep. Uh, it, it does make me sad that this deck is like, it wants to be a Luris deck, but it has street wraith and like you need the street wraith to enable the shadows and you have like bobble fetch land tricks and stuff. So I, I do like that. I could see a world where you might want to like keep the Luris and board out Street Wraith in some matchups, though. Yeah, I buy that. Like maybe maybe you play like a Luris main and then you just side out Luris and Street Wraith. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I like where your head's at. But there's also like hooting mandrels in the sideboard too. So I don't know. Mysteries. Tuganaxos. This is Azorius Mill with On Thin Ice, Path to Exile. Ruin Crab, Manning, Cacophony for the new cards. Uh, Cacophony is the two mana mill eight or six mana traumatize. Uh, Path to Exile does not force a search for Archive Trap, but it incentivizes a search. So that's cool. And this one also has Manic Scribe just to go super hard on like the creature milling plan and Luris out of the board. Yeah, I know this is your favorite version of this deck because of the two timely reinforcements in the sideboard. So Dude, those should be on board. Uh, get it main. Get it main. What are you yeah, doing? I also, had a feeling. Also, where's the Miko Koro? I don't understand. You fix that. Fire off a Azorius Mill League report back. Nah, I might just like goldfish it. Okay. That sounds way more fun. Uh, Wu Tang 08, another Death Shadow deck. This one with Tarmogoyf. A Scourge of the Skyclaves, only one copy, but two copies. Brian of Magmatic Channeler. Mm-hmm. This card, card is that was it's good. on my top 10 list. I think it's just like a solid card. Hasn't done anything in standard thus far. I don't even know that I've seen a Magmatic Channeler list. Uh, I know Ryan Over- Overturf was super high on Magmatic Channeler in like typical prowessy builds. I don't remember if he was doing it in Pioneer or Modern, but certainly knows a ton about those archetypes and loves this card there. Said it was way more powerful than he expected. Yeah, so that's Ryan, a good sign. Ryan had a pioneer list with 
uh, Phoenix and Fiery Temper. That's which, the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, yep. It looks good to me. Yeah, I thought it looked quite good. Channeler, <laughs> I've played it a bunch in Limited, and uh, it's not good there. Well, okay. It's, it's fine. Good. You just no, shouldn't no, it's expect. Good. You shouldn't expect it's constructed so, level payoffs. So hard to actually effectively loot with it. That's the thing that kept coming up, and maybe it gets way easier in this context. I won't say maybe it gets way easier in this context. All your spells cost basically nothing, and you have a bunch of stuff you're happy to discard. So I, I buy this as an important card in modern pioneer maybe even legacy possibly when you are able to build your deck in a very specific way you can get rewarded from magmatic channeler i mean when you're playing a bunch of seven mana cards in limited you know maybe not a bunch or whatever but yeah obviously you can hit and that sucks so maybe don't activate this thing on turn three unless you're really trying to hit a land drop or something i don't know yeah you had to be very cautious with it and i don't think that will carry over to constructed formats for the most part right but constructed uh especially modern you know yeah everything everything costs one or two or zero uh this is still very much a luris format or at least like luris friendly luris adjacent so i don't know uh channeler is good i'm not sure if it's better than the other options but like we noted with some of these other scourge decks unless you have swiss beer in your deck it's kind of difficult to actually get that thing online so I, I understand and respect having two channelers. And this is also a traverse deck too. So like if in the super late game, yeah. you want to traverse for a threat, you know, maybe it's Scourge, certainly Scourge over Tarmogoyf, but maybe Scourge over Death Shadow too. Yeah, I buy it. Uh, also more Cleansing Wildfires in the sideboard. Maybe the, the most important modern card in the set. I don't know. There's, there's a bunch that really making a pretty wide impact and that's been par for the course lately we kind of expect all of our new sets to hit modern right away but uh this one seems to be doing it in a much more safe healthy beneficial way maybe with the possible eventual exception of omnath but i don't even know if omnath's like a hundred percent going to be a modern banger it's much harder for expensive things without like the recursion of uro to really matter here so i think it'll see some play i don't think it's going to be as impactful but a lot of these smaller cards really big gets for the formats and they're cleaning up some of the problems that have existed for a while like cleansing wildfire being an option for all of these fair decks against things like tron that's a game changer it is and i i think it's important to note that wildfire is doing a lot of the good work that like trophy was supposed to, but the problem with trophy is you just run out of gas basically. Yep. And this, yep. this kind of fixes that. And there's just a lot of weird quarter case scenarios for this card to be good too, where I don't know, like say you need cards in your graveyard for Gurmag angler or Tarmogoyf mm. or whatever, you know, there's like weird things like that you can do. And then it's not just a thing that's good against Tron. I mean, I guess like trophy is also good against the, the DFC landless decks or whatever but you know now you have a lot of incentive to play it and there are cool things you can do with flagstones and i don't know i just like it a lot i do too happy to see it here happy in general with the shape of modern right now uh wish there was a little bit more incentive for me to be playing it but such is life in 2020 tough to get everything to line up dude there was a weekend trying to remember where it was where I don't know. There were just a few weekends in a row, I guess, where I, I played some PTQs on Magic Online. And there was one weekend specifically where I was in Reno and I played like a legacy and a modern one. And I don't know. I didn't really want to queue, but I did want to like 
you know, figure out formats, grind and beat up on people. And that was a lot of fun. I should maybe cherry pick a weekend where I can do that. This seems like the right format to do it in. I, I think there's still a bunch of unexplored territory and promising leads we were able to suss out from this deck dump. Yeah, agreed. And a lot of, a lot of places to go to. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, at the end of every episode, we do a question uh, from the fine folks in our Discord. And the question we selected this week comes from Kill Panic. And Kill Panic wants to know, Brian, is this the last straw? uh i i like this question because it's a question that like it answers itself are you listening to this right now are you still here are you waiting to see what happens on monday if things change dramatically are you hopping right back in the standard queues my answer to all of that is yes i am as interested as i was a week ago i am sad that this has happened i i wish it wouldn't keep happening it's tough to deal with, but ultimately, like next week's a new week. I'm going to be able to probably play standard again and have some interest in figuring things out. And I don't know. I mean, like, was there some impact on my wallet? Probably. Was it worse for other people? Probably. And I have empathy for that. It's tough to keep going through this. But honestly, if you want to give some more props, which nobody does, but I guess I'm in a prop giving mood right now. You got the bands out as quickly as you possibly could. Like the set's not even officially on sale yet. So if you're trying to prevent people from making purchases based on certain assumptions, you've done your job as well as you possibly can, I think. I mean, granted, you could like not make the problematic card in the first place. And I guarantee that's what they want. They don't want to keep stepping on this rake and ending up in these scenarios. But where it doesn't work out, I appreciate that they were swift about it. I hope they come to a sufficient realization that it's not as simple as just taking off like a little piece of this and letting it stand. I think this is a spot for more aggression. I'd rather have you go too broad than too narrow. But for me, this isn't anything resembling the last straw. I don't ever want to take away people's personhood and their right to be upset about stuff and to expect better from companies that they're willing to support that you have every justification for feeling that way. It's just not where my head's at these days. I'm just like, fix it. Let's move on. Let's do the next thing and I'll deal with it. Yeah. My, my answer is just one word. No, it isn't. Uh, which is interesting because you know, what actually is going to be the last straw, you know, but well, hopefully we don't have to answer that, but yeah, agreed. I mean, there, there have definitely been periods where if, if this was not my job, I would probably be doing something else, but I don't know, this is not one of those periods. Like I I'm still invested in standard like post rotation and I'm certainly interested in like modern historic pioneer and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, maybe standard will be good, but they, they definitely did get me for a second bullet because I needed more wild cards to build the decks that I wanted to build. Oh yeah. Those mythic mana bases are not cheap. No, no. And yeah, that, that is probably how they got me was the DFCs mostly. Cause I still have some rares left over. Yep. Yeah. Plenty of rares, no mythics. I, I think the clearest indication for me is like, we just did this show I had a really good time. Like, granted, you and I generally have a good time when we get together and talk with each other just because we enjoy each other's company. But, like, most of our focus when we do this is on magic. And if magic was in some disastrous, ruinous state, I don't think I would enjoy doing this on a week to week basis. But 
despite any malaise I might feel throughout the week, when it comes time to be here, to talk about it, to look for ways forward, to postulate on what went wrong, how we can solve it, all that stuff is still super interesting to me. And even the problems are interesting. Like I enjoyed our discussion to start this show off. I think it's interesting to talk about how you can fix these things going forward. And I don't I just don't really see a last straw for me. And if you feel differently, I respect that. At some point, I, I get being fed up. But for me, it's just kind of a cost of doing business. I hope and wish for things to get better, but I'm still here, not going anywhere. The, the difference for me lies in my confidence level for the employees in various branches of the company, right? Where it is very clear to me that R&D can do good work. They're capable of doing good work and they do good work outside of in you know the, the case of the last few years, it was like isolated incidents to some degree, right? It was like, this set is great minus Oko or like this set is great minus Omnath, you know? Yeah. And they took a different direction, decided to focus on other things and that changed the design philosophy for, you know, basically like what kind of cards they were pushing out. And they, they have to go through some growing pains with that and learn from it. And that is happening, you know, before it was like, okay, fires, maybe we don't make cards that double people's mana at four mana. I, I think that box is checked. I think they learned that. And Omnath is another card in uh, a, a line of cards that kind of do that. But now with Uro and Omnath, it's like, okay, this is what happens when we tack life gain onto ramp spells and kind of right. negate the downside of ramping. It's like, these are, these are things that we are all learning. Right. And I have a feeling that that will get better over time. In the case of things like organized play, I do not share the same confidence. So, if yeah, that's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. So, if anything actually causes me to just be like, you know what, I'm done, it would probably be something along those lines. But I mean, like, they effectively did push me out of organized play, right? Like, I have no desire to grind and play in tournaments anymore. And yeah. that, that was as same. a result of their decisions. So, I'm still interested in the game and helping people succeed and building decks and all of that stuff. But I mean, maybe that just speaks to like, no matter what OP does poorly to make me not want to interact with that part of the game or the company, like there's still just going to be like arena and talking about it and building decks and whatever. So yeah, maybe there isn't a last draw. We'll see. Yeah. So when it comes to OP, I'm willing to basically throw aside my criticisms for this era. I just think it's like, I don't, again, I don't have it in me to fault people for not having a good plan through COVID. I've, I've criticized individual decisions very harshly, things like disappearing money and still taking PTQ entries from people. Uh, I was a very, very vocal critic of, but in terms of like OP not being good or healthy or making me wanting to engage with it right now, I don't really know that you could succeed at that task. So I get just counting your losses. For I, me, yeah. what's going to be the important thing is what they do when we put all of this behind us. That is what's going to be telling. And if that moment they let it go by when everyone is dying to get together and play magic and to embrace the gathering and to welcome in all these new people who have been drawn to the game by Arena, because there are still so many of them that could be part of our like paper community and our OP space that all deserve a chance to experience what we got to experience for years and years. If they mess that up, that's as close as I could see myself getting to it being the last straw, because that's a golden opportunity that you just have to nail. Yeah. To, to clarify, the COVID stuff is whatever. Like Obviously, it's difficult for everyone. I mean, SCG is struggling with the same stuff, CFB, and- yeah. 
to everyone's credit, like a lot of people are stepping up and trying to like fill that void and everything. But like I was, I was kind of done before all that stuff went down. So sure. Fair point. Dude, like 2005 me would love for everything to be online, Pro Tours included. <laughs> I am sure. Uh, probably points where I felt the same. And now the weekend rolls around and I'm like, well, I could play this magic tournament or I could go outside. And I'm just like, ooh, outside, so much sun. And that's the way it seems to go every single weekend. So uh, the love for the game is still there. The love for the trying to win a tournament, not so much. Well, it does say something that I'm – Excited about playing in a modern tournament versus like a standard tournament, you know, like I, I was excited to play Omnath the first few days after the set came out on arena and like build the best version and fine tune it and all that stuff. And I, I basically did that. And now standard, you know, if there was like a PTQ on arena or moto or whatever that was standard, I would just not really want to play in it, but I, I would be down to play a modern event and yeah, probably a lot of that and my lack of excitement in Magic as a whole probably stems from there being bad standard formats and me feeling like I have no agency. You know, it's like, oh, I could work pretty hard to have a 45% matchup against this deck or whatever. It's like, that's not really super exciting. You know, give me something. Right there with you, brother. Game. Good luck.